From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth, where we break down all the big personal finance stories, workplace stories of the week, and give you information that you can walk away with and say, hmm, I could put that into motion today. I can try to start saving more money right now. The big story this week that everybody was watching was the Bank of Canada's interest rate announcement, which happened on Wednesday. A lot of people nervous about what the Bank of Canada is doing. They have raised rates aggressively since March of 2022, and they raised rates again by 25 basis points, bringing the cumulative amount that they've raised to 475 basis points. So anybody who bought a house in 2021 or early 2022 and took out a variable rate mortgage is really feeling it. They're seeing, they've seen their payments go up, in many cases more than double. Uh, they've had to cut things out of their life in order to afford to make their mortgage payments. So whether that be the vacation they take in the summer, or maybe a renovation they were planning, maybe upgrading their car, anything that they were planning on doing with all that extra money that now is going to service that mortgage. Uh, I spoke to one uh, mortgage holder who bought a house in Ontario in 2021, went variable, and watched the interest rates go up for the last 16-ish months, 17-ish months, and has now decided to uh, fix his rate because he's just worried about the fact that the Bank of Canada is going to continue to, to raise rates. And that's fine. I think for uh, him being able, him and his wife being able to sleep at night and, and feeling that sort of stability for their home is, go- is going to be a good thing. Because remember, finances have a huge impact on our mental health as well. But I do think that if you have waited this long while interest rates were rising and you have not fixed your variable rate mortgage, that you may be in a position where you're fixing it at the highest point. We're going to be speaking to a uh, FX analyst uh, later in the show about today's Bank of Canada uh, announcement and talking to him about what the forecast is for the rest of the year. His thinking is this may be the last interest rate hike for a while, maybe one more, but he thinks the Bank of Canada may now stall and see how these higher interest rates work their way through the economy. So keep that in mind. When you fix your rate, really, you're paying a premium to have peace of mind. And so if you've waited this long, maybe, maybe this may not be the right time to start thinking about fixing your rate. Because in a year from now, just like we know what happens in a year, the interest rates may be in a different position. I am in no way qualified to give individual advice on what people should do with their mortgages, but this is just what economists are saying and what we are seeing happening uh, in the markets and also anxiety being so high and people making decisions based on emotions. So definitely the Bank of Canada this week raising interest rates uh, was not something that uh, mortgage holders were looking forward to, but it was expected. The overnight rate is now 5%. It is the highest it has been since 2001, so more than 22 years. Think about it. This is a time where we didn't have Facebook. We didn't carry smartphones. I mean, it was a completely different time, right? Most of us didn't have a mortgage uh, at that time. So managing our money in this interest rate environment is brand new, including for me, to everybody. No one really had a mortgage that's been hanging around since 2001. Most people are almost at the end of it or they've paid it off a long time ago. And so for everybody, this is a new normal. 
normal that we now have to get used to. Uh, Bank of Canada pointing to the fact that global inflation is easing. Canada's inflation rate also coming down 3.4% in May, but still concerns about uh, labor market being tight, GDP growth being strong, and how that impacts prices. And their mandate is to get inflation to 2%. So that when you go to the grocery store, when you go buy a piece of furniture, when you go to a restaurant, that prices go up 2% year over year because that's what people can manage. That's how wages go up. That's how much prices go up. And people can manage that and they can uh, afford the life that they've set up for themselves. Unlike what's been happening in the last year and a half, where interest rates have gone up so quickly, inflation has continued to remain persistently high, uh, except for the last couple of months. And people have had to make big financial sacrifices in order to make ends meet. And nobody wants to sell their home or do something dramatic like that because that really is going to put a big dent in your overall financial wellness. It's like you're starting from scratch again, right? You sold your home that you spent all those years saving the down payment and now you sell it and you feel like you're back at square one and that's not a good place to be. We will be speaking to a financial analyst after the break about the Bank of Canada announcement, what to expect for 2023 and maybe into 2024. Could there be a recession? Could we be headed to a recession? Uh, We'll hear from him. And later in the show, we're going to speak to our very own Craig Lord, national online journalist, about his latest newsletter, Homeschool. He's talking about everything that goes into bidding on a home. So when you go and you you shop around for a house, the first step when you want to buy it is to bid on it. What goes into bidding on a home? What price should you put down? What conditions should you put in or not put in? What are things that you can ask for that maybe you didn't even think about. I know that when we bought our current home, uh, they weren't budging on price. So then I thought, hmm, let me see all the things you can throw in that might make this offer a little bit more attractive. So I got uh, the seller to leave a couple of things behind in the backyard that really helped us sort of set ourselves up right away when we moved here. We didn't have to buy certain things for the backyard because they were already there. And also some things inside the house he left because we asked him to. And uh, that saved us a little bit of money. And I think on his side, it didn't cost him that much because taking that stuff with him would have cost him uh, moving costs, right? So he saves a little bit of that now too, and he gets to sell his home and move on to his next property. We will have uh, that great conversation uh, about Bank of Canada's uh, announcement a little bit more in depth coming up after the break. And later we'll be speaking to Craig Lord. And at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about digital nomads. Have you heard of these people? People who can work from anywhere, from a beach, from a mountainside, and they still make full-time salaries. I'm going to talk about how Canada is trying to attract digital nomads to the country. I'm Rubina Ahmad Haq, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Haq. As expected, the Bank of Canada has again raised its key interest rate by 25 basis points, bringing it to a 22-year high of 5%. What's behind this rate increase and what can we expect for 2023? To talk about this, we are joined by Jay Zhao Murray. He's an FX analyst at Monix Canada. Welcome to the program, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Good to hear. Yeah, thanks for having thanks for making time for us. So today's announcement was pretty much this is what forecasters and economists were saying that we we were going to see this 25 basis point hike Uh, a lot of people were preparing for that but what is your biggest takeaway from from today's announcement uh, that that really stuck out to you i think my big takeaway is that um the whole discussion and focus of the bank of canada today wasn't really even about the hike that they made 
today. Uh, it was more like they were trying to explain what they did back in June. So the Bank of Canada uh, last kind of hiked to uh, 4.5% in January, then they went on pause for about four months, uh, and then they lifted back off in June, and they continued that uh, today. So they didn't really talk about the differences between now and last month. It was more just a forum to really go into depth about what they did um, uh, at that time. And why do you think that was? Do they feel like Canadians want an explanation? I mean, never have I seen, I've been covering personal finance now 15 plus years. I've never seen people who are so tuned in to what's happening with the Bank of Canada, when, when the announcements are. I think most people, I would say 10 years ago, probably didn't even know when these, announcement hap- when, when these announcements happen and what they really matter. But now everyone is really tuned into it. So why do you think they needed to do that, go back and explain themselves? Yeah, so there's been a really strong push from the Bank of Canada fairly recently, um, over the last few years at least, to uh, make their communications more accessible. Um, They don't want to live in a world anymore where uh, they feel like people don't understand what they're doing or they're upset by what they're doing. Uh, They feel like they need to explain it so that people get it and they buy into it. And part of that, too, is the fact that um, if, you know, economists think that uh, a lot of what happens in the actual economy is based on what they expect to happen about the economy. And it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the idea is, you know, say what you're what you're doing, make it clear, uh, get people to buy in. And hopefully that'll actually make the, the goal of getting inflation back to 2% more achievable. Yeah, I've seen those um, tweets that they've put out, like learn more about what we do, what our mandate is, uh, helping people sort of this, giving them sort of news you can use in 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 short, uh, uh, short little uh, tweets uh, that people can easily access because everybody is on social media and, and trying to learn something new all the time. Uh, what's your expectation now? Um, there's still a few uh, announcements. We still have half a year ahead of us, really. Um, uh, and, and anything can and happen. Uh, what, what's your expectation going forward? Will we see more uh, interest rate hikes? Uh, Will they be slow and steady, like 25 basis points? Or could we go back to the days of one percentage point hikes? Uh, You know, actually, I don't think either of those are going to happen, really. Um, I think this is probably the last one. Um, I think that 5% is a pretty good vantage point to see how the economy evolves over the next couple of months. Uh, By then, they're going to have a full quarter of data since their June decision to abandon their pause. Um, And I think by then, you know, the economy will have softened enough and inflation will come down enough that they'll say, okay, you know, we we don't need to do more. Uh, That was sufficient. Um, I mean, I do think that there is uh, still an upside risk that that rates could go higher than than 5%. But if so, you know, it's not going to be 1%. Like, you know, like we saw last year when inflation was skyrocketing, you know, now it's on the way down. We're getting a lot closer to 2%. Uh, so if they do um, act again, you know, the risk is that they do deliver one more hike uh, this year and it'll probably be 25 basis points. But uh, my base case is no change from here. And is it going to do its job? A lot of people are complaining that interest rates are going up. And my money is getting more expensive, especially if they've got that variable rate mortgage. But then grocery prices aren't coming down. Um, household items that we buy every day, they're not coming down. Travel, restaurants, everything that we want to do in the summer with our family, that's still expensive. Do you expect those prices to cool? Is inflation actually going to set in where people feel like, okay, grocery prices aren't going up 9% year over year? Well, it's funny you mentioned grocery 
prices because you know that's probably one of the areas where we haven't seen much of a turnaround but uh in a lot of components of, of inflation we have seen quite a bit of progress and you know one of the biggest ones for example has been uh energy so uh the cost of gasoline is way down and that's a big expense for a lot of families um obviously that doesn't have so much to do uh with the bank of canada because the energy market's very uh, global but i do think that rate hikes have had an effect i mean we're not talking about seven or eight percent inflation we're talking about three or four percent inflation now so um it's you know like it doesn't mean that prices are going to go down that that's that's the thing that sucks is uh it just means that prices aren't going to keep going up as fast as as they were uh so i guess this is a new normal with, of higher prices we're not really going to go back to where we were prior to the pandemic unfortunately i i, I wish we would but um uh, but at the very least, you know, there's going to be a, more, a bit more stability from here. And, uh, and I do think that we're going to get to 2% um, probably earlier than the banks even forecasting. We're speaking to Jay Zhao Murray. He's an FX analyst at Monix Canada. The Bank of Canada has been pretty aggressive with raising uh, interest rates, trying to get inflation under control. What are they risking? Because a lot of people in this very specific market who took out a variable rate mortgage or borrowed money from their home equity line of credit have seen their cost of borrowing skyrocket, uh, double even more so their payments in the last year. Uh, but for other people, we are, like you said, enjoying low, you know, lower prices on some items at least. Um, but what does what is the bank risking uh, by what it did today? Uh, and maybe not raising rates even, like you said, further in 2023? So I think that um, the risks of this particular hike actually aren't that great. 25 basis points in the grand scheme of things isn't really that much. You know, what, what really matters is the full uh, 475 basis points that they've done, done since the start of last year. Um, but tweaking it by 25 basis points, I don't think it's really going to change much. And, and really... Um, you take a look at uh, how GDP has performed, like growth in the economy, real growth, not just, you know, um, uh, just money prices, but like actual goods and services, the volume of those goods and services has gone up and household consumption is, is really, really strong. Um, oh, man, <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, could you repeat that question? I could try. Again. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I asked it in a kind of an awkward way. And I, that is exactly what I wanted you to say was something about the 475 basis points. Um, I'll just ask the question again. Uh, you know, sure. the bank, the bank raised its interest rate by 25 basis points. Uh, but this has been a long line of uh, interest rate hikes. What is the bank risking by raising rates this quickly uh, when it comes to how Canadians can manage uh, their personal finances? Yeah, so I don't think that this 25 basis points in isolation really changes the balances of, of risk that much. Um, but, you know, uh, 475 basis points since the start of last year is pretty significant. Um, what I would say, though, is that people were a lot uh, more pessimistic about the economy at the start of the year. You know, some people were anticipating a recession by summer. That hasn't happened. You know, growth has actually been very strong, you know, 3.1% uh, growth in the first quarter on GDP very strong consumption growth um and uh it's it's for these reasons that the banks actually got a little bit of a safety cushion in order to uh take rates higher and not have to worry necessarily about uh say a recession um which which normally we'd be worrying about and uh i, I think one of the big risks that actually is materializing you are hearing about this is um you know to avoid having people with, with you know vastly uh, rising mortgage payments, uh, uh, 
I, I guess, get hit too hard by that. What a lot of banks have done is that they've uh, increased the, the the length of amortizations. And, you know, what this does really is is it it creates more risk in terms of, you know, people have to take on more debt as, as a whole. But in another way, it reduces risk by spreading it out over time. Rather than having a lot of people renewing their their payments and, and hitting a higher rate very quickly, they've kind of spread out that risk. Uh, so uh, I, I do think that the the growing debt burden is is going to be a, a you know big boogeyman looming around. And what about the boogeyman of recession? Uh, you know, like you just mentioned, the expectation was by now we would be in one, but we're seeing wage growth, we're seeing the economy grow. Um, you know, the labor market, even though unemployment went up, it's because more people are looking for a job. Uh, wh- where do you think we'll be? Do you think we'll be in recession in 2023 or maybe early 2024? You know what? Um, I think that the economy has pretty much surprised everybody to the upside. It's been a lot more robust than than virtually everyone thought. And um, I think that the odds of a recession have really gone down. Uh, we might be able to avoid it altogether. And if we do see some contraction in, in the economy, it probably won't be some kind of big worrying thing with a lot of job losses. You know, maybe maybe output slows a little bit, but firms don't fire uh, that many workers. Like, I, I don't think that it's going to be um, necessarily a, a disaster. It will be bumpy uh, and, and, and you know, it, it will be rocky and it'll hit different people in different ways. But um, I, I think that, you know, really the, the economy's done better than virtually anyone anticipated. Yeah, maybe that soft landing that I remember Christia Freeland, uh, the finance minister, talked about, uh, you know, that, that that's how we're going to end up. Maybe that will happen. I mean, everyone was saying, no, that's not a possibility when you raise rates this fast. But it sounds like that could be a possibility in the future that we might get this soft landing despite uh, rates coming up, like you said, 475 basis points since uh, just February of last year. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, too, is uh, a lot of and this is a global experience, but a lot of the inflation in several countries has been driven by really tight labor markets. You know, firms not finding the workers that they need, pushing up on wages, and then the higher wages are pushing up on prices. And, um, you know, in most economic cycles, what happens is that when you push down on that, uh, people lose their jobs, unemployment goes up, and in that sense, it lowers inflation. But what we've seen in, in several economies is that um, what's actually happened is the job demand, the number of postings have gone down, even if employment hasn't gone down. So, you know, I think that there is a, a much better chance of a soft landing this year. Jay, thank you so much for making time for us today, breaking down uh, the Bank of Canada's uh, announcement, interest rate announcement this week, and uh, what people can expect possibly for the rest of 2023. For sure. Hope to uh, speak with you guys again soon. Yeah, absolutely. That's Jay Zhao Murray. He's an FX analyst at Monix Canada. When we come back, we're going to continue on this trend of homes and mortgages. We're going to be talking to our very own Craig Lord, global national journalist, about what it takes to bid on a home, all the things that go into bidding on a home. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. 
Bidding on a house can be a stressful experience, especially in today's market with interest rates high, low inventory, and home prices continuing to rise. For home buyers, there is a lot at stake when you bid for a home. That's the topic for this month's Homeschool Newsletter by Global News National Online Journalist Craig Lord. You can find Homeschool on globalnews.ca, and we are joined by Craig on the program now. Greg, you know, I've been in this uh, situation before where I've had to bid on a house. It is a huge learning curve when you do it for the first time. Break it down for us. What happens when you have to bid on a house when you are not the only one that wants to purchase this home that's for sale? Yeah, that is perhaps the trickiest scenario. Uh, We would all love to just be maybe in a one-on-one negotiation with the seller where you can uh, maybe iron out terms, maybe get on the same page a little bit more. But when there's multiple buyers making bids and you're not sure, you know, how high the other parties are going, what conditions they may or may not be including, it's very stressful. So, uh, I've talked to a few realtors in the past week or so about, you know, their mindsets going into bids, uh, how they how they try and set their clients up for success. Uh, when you are crafting that bid, obviously the asking price is in there. We can talk a little bit more about how to set that actual price, but keep in mind uh, a few other things that you are, are going to need to go into that document, that big legal document that you sign off and, and present to the sellers. So any conditions, like I mentioned, that you might have an inspection. Financing is a big one right now with the rising interest rates that you just mentioned. Make sure uh, if you are not 100% certain that you know the bank or the lender is going to give you exactly what you need, that you have that condition in there potentially, because uh, that can save you, you having to come up with the difference yourself between what you can and can cannot get from the bank uh, timing around closing, you know, when you're actually going to take possession of that home, when uh, they're going to be vacating their house, uh, as well as the amount you'll be putting down in a deposit, that money that you are staking to your bid and saying, you know, yeah, this is this is yours. If, if things fall fall short, uh, a large deposit can certainly help to, to show sellers that you're serious. But it comes with risks, obviously, uh, if, if things don't pan out. So a lot to consider in uh, some of the most important legal documentation many will be signing in their lives. And I know when you're doing a back and forth, so you're negotiating, it's like you're scribbling out your your uh, little uh, initial there, and then you're doing a new initial for the new price, and it can get quite messy. But that is a legal document. I think people sometimes don't realize, despite the fact that it's been faxed over a bunch of times, it's still the legal document that says uh, you are willing to pay this much for the house if all of these conditions are met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does actually look a lot like chicken scratch towards the end uh, if you've come back and forth many times because uh, you are just scratching out what you originally uh, put in and and writing the new number or, or erasing a condition and slightly altering it based on, you know, what everybody's comfortable with. Uh, the realtors that I've spoken to say like, yeah, you know, if you've never done this before, very good idea to maybe have a realtor with you guiding you through um, the, the process but also potentially having a real estate lawyer look over everything and make sure that uh, whatever you scratched out uh, doesn't tend to potentially come back to bite you uh, in, in case you overlooked, uh, you know, a zero or a decimal place here or there. Uh, be very <laughs> yeah. careful with uh, everything that's written down. 
Oh my, that's like that's like a horror story. You accidentally putting an extra zero. Seller quickly saying yes, I'll take that bid. That's perfect for me. Um, I mean, I don't think that that would realistically happen. A good a good seller would never say you know sign on to someone's mistake and say now you owe me the money. Um, what information you know you said working with a realtor, which I think most of us do when we do bid on a home, whether it's just us or you know there's multiple bids going in. But what information can a home buyer ask from the seller from the seller's agent uh, before they actually put that price in of what they're willing to pay for that house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the few uh, really gold tidbits that I've, I've heard from the conversations I've been having is to really try and know the seller as much as you possibly can. Try to know, you know, what their driving factor is to sell because you can really um, craft your bid to to really uh, satisfy their needs and and increase the odds that you will come out successful with your bid that you'll craft something that's that's agreeable to both parties so um how long the seller has been in the home these are all things you can ask for um you can ask they don't have to tell you but you can ask you know the seller's realtor why are they selling um if it's you know it's someone who's lived in that home for a few decades and they're they're moving to a care home potentially that changes the the uh the selling equation versus if it's a, an investor getting rid of a rental property um you know there's a few uh a few technical things that you 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 want to make sure are in place uh if you're buying a condo for example you'd be able to get a look at the status certificate which is basically the equivalent of doing an inspection on a freehold home uh the status certificate will will be maintained by by the condo board there and it'll give you kind of an update on you know when maintenance was done um you can usually usually this will be upfront in the listings but you can know for a home when the furniture was replaced when the windows when the uh the roof was last done so uh no going into it exactly the condition of the home that you're you're buying because that'll affect you know your budget going into it if you're gonna have to make some improvements or if you can get the seller to do those improvements for you before you actually move into the home yeah. And if, uh, another thing to add, and this is really if you're the only one bidding, because they probably won't entertain this request unless you're the only one interested in buying, but asking for uh, a year's worth of utility costs, you know, what you paid for hydro and gas and um, and, and water, because these things, uh, you know, can really help you understand the cost of what that home is uh, going to be once you once you get into it, what it's going to cost to run it. Uh, Craig, there are a lot of people who have become very creative when it comes to bidding on a home, especially in the hotter markets when there are multiple bids and they want to stand out from the rest and maybe money is not the only way to do that. Talk to me a little bit about the lengths that some home buyers have gone to, to really uh, sell themselves to the seller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's not always money and that might be something that uh, not everyone understands. Um, you can, in a bid, uh, say you've put an extra 5000 down to really get that home that you want maybe it becomes possible for you if the seller includes the furniture, for example, or or maybe there's even just a really nice piece of art that you'd like to get thrown in. You know, everything in the home uh, is fair game for, for an offer. Um, I've also spoken to a few realtors and I've asked everyone this, 
what is the value of writing a letter to introduce yourself to the seller? I've, I've heard mixed things about this, but uh, I spoke recently to Trish McKenzie. She's a, a realtor in the Toronto area. And, and she told me that actually writing a letter can be the difference maker when it comes to whether your offer stands out from the, the horde of others that are potentially flooding into a single property. I see no downside to writing a letter. It is a tool in your toolbox and why not use every tool in your toolbox that you can? It makes a huge difference. And I won one recently, not with the highest offer, but with a great letter. Um, and it was because we understood who the seller was, who they wanted and how our buyers really aligned well with it. And, you know, that was a $10,000 letter. Now that letter writing situation worked out great for Trisha's clients. Uh, I will tell you anecdotally, uh, when I was bidding on a home about a year ago, I wrote a letter and uh, it didn't make a difference. Uh, honestly, our, our bid just wasn't close enough to what the seller wanted. Uh, so letters aren't necessarily going to to uh, to make your your offer uh, you know, substantially more, uh, but it can be a bit of a difference maker in a tight bidding situation. Uh, if, if you want to endear yourself and, and really stand out from the crowd. So Craig, I know two people who have written letters and they have successfully been able to buy that home. Now, whether the other bid was the same amount of money and the seller thought, well, I'd rather go with these nice, sweet couple that's written this beautiful letter. We don't know, but the letter, they did both write letters. So it can, it can work. We don't know whether that was a deciding factor, but it, they did write letters and they did get the home. So maybe that was a part of it. Very quickly before we go, a, a bully offer. Can you explain to me what that is and when someone should get involved with something like that? Yeah, a bully offer uh, is basically when you uh, have a seller that's uh, set a certain date for when they're going to be accepting offers and they want uh, all interested parties to submit on that date. You don't actually have to abide by that necessarily. Um, you can go ahead and say, well, a couple of days ahead of the date, uh, here's our offer. It'll usually be a little bit higher than the asking price. Uh, and it'll put a, bit, put a bit of pressure on the seller to say, hey, you might not get a, an offer like this on your offer date. So if you're looking to to get uh, get the most, uh, here, here's our offer, take it. it, it it's it's time limited, but uh, that's that's what we're, we're offering. It can be a little pushy. Some sellers can definitely get get uh, put off by it. In fact, in, in some markets in, in BC, they've actually banned uh, these kind of bully offer situations. Um, but what it can do is if you've got a, a seller that's a little stressed, they don't know what uh, whether they're going to get uh, everything they want. I, I've heard from a few realtors that right now is actually a pretty decent time to do bully offers because sellers uh, have been holding on to their properties for a while and might be looking to to get rid of it. So if you can jump in with the right timing and maybe a little bit of uh, forward, shall we say, uh, bidding, it, it can work out for you and 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 still satisfy everyone in the process. Well, Craig, I really look forward to reading uh, this month's newsletter. I think this is a topic that people don't ask enough questions about. And it's such a crucial point in time when you are looking to buy a house, how much you bid, when you bid, the way you go into the bid. Uh, it really can uh, be the difference between being successful and or being back on the, you know, pounding the pavement again, looking for that dream house. I really think this is one newsletter that anybody who is looking to buy a house in the near future should be reading. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rubina.
That's Craig Lord. He is Global News National Online Journalist and also the author of Homeschool. You can find Homeschool, which this month they're talking about bidding on a home and everything that goes into that uh, on globalnews.ca. When we come back, I want to talk about digital nomads. These are people that can work from anywhere at any time and they never have to see their boss face to face. There's a lot of people leaving Canada to become digital nomads, but Canada is actually trying to attract digital nomads to our country. I'll break down exactly what that is when we come back. I'm Rubina Ahmad Huck and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. Thank you so much for joining us this hour on For What It's Worth and listening to all the personal finance and workplace stories that affect you as Canadians. And I hope you got something from it, especially Craig Lord, our national online journalist, talking about everything that goes into bidding for a home. Now, Craig, I know, talked about how writing a letter, does it make a difference? Does it not? But like I said, I know two people who wrote letters to the sellers and they got their bid in. They were successful in buying that home. So it could have played a role. I mean, I don't think it hurts to be a little personal. Because in this environment, if there's a home that's on the right street, in the right school district, and it is affordable for many people, that may be the difference between you getting it and the family who decided to remain anonymous and not really share anything about themselves. That could be the difference between you and the other person getting it. So I do recommend getting creative, maybe not getting creepy about it, but maybe creative. I wouldn't go up to the seller's home and start talking to them personally, but definitely keeping it professional uh, when when bidding on a home. You can also find out how many bids are registered on a home uh, when there is a offer date. So an offer date is when a home goes on the market and the seller says, I am not taking offers until seven days from now. Now the bully offer, like Craig spoke about, is when someone goes in early and says, I don't care about that date seven days in advance. I'm going to give you a hundred thousand more than what you're asking. And the seller has a right to accept it. Uh, But in most cases, the seller waits until the offer date. And you can, as the buyer, ask your real estate agent to find out how many bids are registered. And that can give you a good idea of what your price should be. So if you're buying a house for $650,000 and there's 20 offers already registered, you know you got to go in a little aggressive. But if you're buying a house, same price, but there's two offers, you can maybe just go in at asking or maybe even a little bit lower, you know, really speak to your agent about where they think the pricing should land. But you have a little bit more flexibility when there isn't as many people bidding on that same home. Also, really interesting speaking to um, the FX analyst, Jay Zhao Murray. Uh, He is with Monix Canada and how he thinks this is the end of interest rate hikes. I hope so. I know a lot of people have suffered for the last year and a half through these hikes, uh, seen their payments go up. Many people have had to give up a lot financially in order to afford uh, the payments on their home because they don't want to sell their home. They spent so much time uh, saving for a down payment, getting into a new home. And one person I spoke to, which I think made a very valid point, said there needs to be more financial literacy between the mortgage applicant and the mortgage advisor. So the mortgage advisor has a duty to explain how fixed interest rates 
and variable interest rates work and to show realistically how rates could go up if the Bank of Canada raises rates and the banks raise their prime rate, which is really what affects customers, uh, by 25 basis points, by one percentage point, by 475 basis points, so that you can get a realistic picture of how payments change. Because I think when people think 25 basis points, ooh, a quarter of a percentage, what's that? That's nothing. It's a lot. It's a lot when you put it into a mortgage calculator. And I think mortgage advisors would be uh, smart to really educate their customers, those mortgage applicants sitting across from them, especially first-time home buyers especially newcomers to Canada who have never bought a home in this market, in the Canadian real estate market, of how payments change as interest rates go up and down. I know most advisors do do that job, but I think that that needs to be front and center considering everything that we have gone through. And the other thing that I found interesting interesting was speaking to a financial uh, counselor, or rather a financial planner, certified financial planner. Uh, she was saying that Financial planners don't come into the equation. You're making the biggest purchase of your life, right? You're spending more money than you ever have before, and you never bother speaking to your financial planner, or you never bother either uh, even seeking out the advice of a financial planner. Can I afford this home? What's everything that goes into making sure this house can run? Does my salary really uh, justify this home purchase? I mean, we go to... Uh, you know, accountants to get our taxes done sometimes, or we might go to a tax specialist to get them done. We speak to contractors when we want to get a renovation done in our home. I know a lot of us do DIY, but you know, many of us will go to a contractor. Why do we not speak to a financial planner, a certified financial planner that will help you understand how your cash flow situation will change with the house that you are purchasing and the things you may have to give up? in order to afford the home that you are looking at. I think that is very, very good advice. And a lot of people feel that, oh, in order to work with the financial planner, I need to be, you know, I need to have millions in the bank. I need to have a lot of money. That's not true. Many fee-only financial planners will work with you no matter how much money you have, and they will help navigate you through what is probably the most expensive uh, purchase in your life. Now, before we go, I wanted to talk about digital nomads. So digital nomads high level, is people who work from anywhere, right? So, I mean, it's a typical digital nomad. You think of a blogger who travels and writes writes about their traveling experience and, and publishes in different places, maybe has an Instagram or some sort of TikTok, and they make money through brands, you know, brand sponsorship. That's, you know, I think that's a kind of a cliche version of a digital nomad. But there's also those who work in the tech industry that they work from anywhere. They can work from their computer. Uh, there's people who work, as long as you can do your job through a computer, you can work really anywhere. So digital nomads have, you know, for so many reasons, uh, enjoyed this kind of lifestyle. Many can Canadians have actually moved to places like Thailand, Vietnam, Melbourne, Australia is another place that Canadian digital nomads tend to move to because of the weather, not necessarily because of the cost of living. But the other places I mentioned, it really is the cost of living uh, that drives Canadians there. They're saying, okay, I can do the same job, make $80,000, but it's going to go way further in Vietnam. And on the weekend, I can go to India and see a couple of places there. You know, these things just seem a lot more attractive when you look at it that way. But now Canada is trying to attract digital nomads, not because of the cost of living, because cost of living in Canada is 
quite high, but really because they are looking for ways to get more highly skilled workers into the country. So they're launching their own program, their own digital nomad strategy. They're saying if you have a skill that is needed in this country and you work for a foreign employer, you can come here for up to six months and you could spend six months in this country working living here, get to know Canada, maybe a little way to attract more people to Canada, date us for six months. And if you like it, all you got to do is get a job with a Canadian employer and you can stay. So really, who are they targeting? They're targeting those individuals who already have a desire to immigrate to Canada. And this is a fast track for them to come try it out. First of all, right? Do you like it here? And then if you do, then you can stay. And that is a win-win for those people who are trying to immigrate here. And then for Canadian uh, employers who are looking for those skills uh, that they're so desperate for, they are laser focused on technical skills. So tech jobs, definitely, and other skills, uh, highly sought after skills. So that that's a new way to encourage people to move to the country. I thought it was funny when Canada was launching. It's not funny. I thought it was interesting. That's the word interesting when Canada was launching its own digital nomad strategy. Cause when I think digital nomad, I think of cheap living and uh, Canada hasn't exactly been a cheap place to live for the last little while, but definitely a way for them to attract people into the country who have the skills that Canada needs. That brings us to the end of our show. I want to thank all of you for listening. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on all the normal social media channels, Twitter and Instagram. And now I'm also on threads, although I haven't been very active yet, but I will get there. I will get there eventually. Uh, We will be back here, same time, same channel. Thank you to James Petrovic, our technical producer. I'm Rabina Ahmad-Hak, and this is For What It's Worth.